always uh, great to be here. It's always great to meet a fellow uh, New Yorker, too, you know? I mean, uh, your other people are fine, but uh, uh, there's, just something, there's something odd about you. Uh, <clears throat> well, uh, this summer uh, has been very, very busy for me. One of the things is I was speaking at Cornerstone quite a bit. Uh, I think it's my fourth time here this year. I'm going to one more time in October. But what made it busy, and I was here two months ago, is that I took a trip to New York City. I just like to, always like to update uh, people at Cornerstone on what I'm doing. So uh, I took a trip with my wife to New York. We go there every so often, sometimes once a year. And one of the reasons is because my mother still lives there still lives in the house that, for the bulk of my life, I, I, I was raised in. My sister lives there, her husband lives there. And uh, it was my mother's 90th birthday. Okay, and how about you, you know? That's a, like a milestone, you know? Uh, so, you know, what would it be without going out to dinner a few times? Okay, so we go out to the, the Chinese restaurant and all sorts of things like that. It was a lot of fun, you know? And so I also did uh, some uh, construction work on my mom's house. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a handyman. I didn't, you didn't know that, you know? Uh, I changed her thermostat. I couldn't believe her thermostat was busted, and in the winter, it could only go to 60 degrees. I said, what's... Okay, I don't want to say, but, but it's, that's kind of crazy, right? So I got one that works, you know, with the knobs and stuff, not the digital one, you know, where you got to press, read the instruction, you know? You just turn the knob, you know? Then I fixed her garage. It wouldn't lock. New York City, something that doesn't lock. That not, that's not very good, okay? Uh, and then, and the most important, the toilet wouldn't refill. As a, a going there, that's like the worst thing, you know? So we got to fix this right away, you know, so I got to get the toilet, stuff like that, okay. So I did home repair for my mom, and she was very, very appreciative. Another thing I did in New York City was uh, we, we, my wife and I went through some of the old neighborhoods uh, that we grew up in. Now, I left New York City officially in 1977, which is almost 40 years from, I can't believe it's 40 years, okay. And uh, I'll tell you, New York has changed. Basically, it's, it's, it's having a transformation like, uh, San Francisco is, where a lot of the park, you know, first with AT&T Park and then all these luxury things. I, like when I drive into the city, I said, look at the skyline of San Francisco. It's incredible. What happened to this place, you know? It was like, it was flat, you know? Used to be trans America building was, woo. now you can't even see it because it's surrounded by everything else, you know? It's like, uh, uh, it's, in, it's incredible. Well, New York has changed quite a bit, you know? So uh, my, my uh, brother-in-law and sister said, you know, you can't believe New York. He says, remember Spanish Harlem? I said, yeah, I remember Spanish Harlem. Well, Spanish Harlem has become, uh, you know, is gentrifying, you know? And now it's called Spaha. <laughs> Spanish Harlem has become Spaha. And I said, oh, wow, what happened? You know, this, this, is, this is incredible. And he said, you know that part in Brooklyn, you know, right over the Brooklyn Bridge? It's now called Dumbo. It's Dumbo is down under Manhattan, Brooklyn, overpass. Now, how do you do it? Dumbo, you know? So I went to Dumbo, okay? And I says, wow, there's all these, like, you know, chic restaurants and all that things, you know? And it's like, wow, what, what happened to this place, you know? And we were staying in a, in a, in a place in, 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 in Queens called Flushing. And I don't know you about the, the immigrant, the Asian uh, immigration into New York. Flushing's become like a little mini Hong Kong. It's like, it's like all over the place. You, know, like, you can always tell, like, the restaurants don't get crowded until 10 p.m., you know? It's like, every, it's like what is this, you know? And it's like, this is, this is incredible what is happening, you know? 
But there's one area that I know hasn't changed. And that's the area that I grew up in. And it's almost as if time forgot and it put it in some sort of like a freeze frame. See, I was born in Manhattan. So I'm official New York. And I lived my first seven years in Manhattan, in Chinatown. Now, I don't have to tell you what the demographics of Chinatown are. I think all of you, it's a descriptive term, okay? <laughs> My parents moved when I was seven into a place called Corona. Okay, you've probably never heard of it. And there's a good reason why you've never heard of this part of New York City, okay? And if you ever visit New York and you visit Corona, guaranteed you got lost, okay? And you gotta find your way out of Corona ASAP, okay? It's basically a blue collar working neighborhood. Uh, and and it's, it's kind of rough, it's kind of rough. And um, what made it very distinct when I was growing up, I was the only Asian kid in school. Okay, this was uh, way back then in the 60s, early 60s. Now, I don't know about you, but I have this thing where if I go into a place or live in a city or go into even a church and I'm the only person of that ethnic group in that place, I feel a little odd. I just want to tell you that, okay? And uh, if you're the only person in a public school in the 60s, early 60s, you not only felt odd, you were picked on. And when we're going back in the old neighborhoods, sometimes you bring back fond memories. I have really any fond memories of the 14 years I lived in Corona. To the point where my wife and I, we discuss, we take the train, visit my mom. And I, I said, I, I think growing up there negatively affected me. And she said, yes, I would have been a better person. You know, I wouldn't have had this, I wouldn't have this sort of quirkiness, you know, about it. And she said, yeah, I, I, I agree with it too, because you, you, it was a certain, where it was, so different. And the reason why I share this is because we're going to come upon a passage which continues the series on the heroes of the faith, but it's going to draw together two individuals from two different tracks of uh, sides of the track, okay? One good and the other bad. And it appears that the one on the good side is the one that is the hero. But it is not necessarily true. But what we will see in this passage, that whichever side that one comes from, their life and their past and their history, their DNA, their ethnicity has to intersect with Jesus Christ, and it will not be their past, it will not be their present that determines or uh, describes or defines who they are in Christ. And this is very, 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 very important for me. Okay, I just want to tell you something very, very important to me. Because I was not raised in a Christian family, okay, and I just told you my background in New York City. And I think I am not alone. I think because I know humankind and the uh, story of people that perhaps 60% of you have some experience in your upbringing where there is major regret. 
Maybe a decision was made for you. You were too young that you wish never, never happened. Or it was something that perhaps you did when you were young. You did have a say in the choice, but it was, it was just that you were young and you did the wrong thing, you know? And you say, I wish, I wish there was a reset button. You know, I wish it was a reset button. Something that Microsoft or Apple would do. Just get a little sharp thing, press the little hole, and the whole thing reboots, you know? <laughs> but what I found is that for most human beings, the life that we lived in the past, that we regret whatever has happened to us, oftentimes remains with us, and at certain times in life, returns to haunt us. And it's real. It's real. Because the past often defines the present for us. So if you are in that boat, and even if you are not in that boat, how does our lives and our histories and our past intersect with Jesus Christ to make us what we need to be in the sight of God? Now, the passage that I have chosen is found in the book of John, and four passages are in your program. I'm going to jump right into it, and we're going to read the first three passages. Now, I've chosen two chapters because the author, John, has skillfully put two people together for a specific purpose to show the diversity of people coming to Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is very, very abrupt. I mean, what's, what's interesting, uh, the Nicodemus comes seemingly uh, giving praise to Jesus. I hear you're a good guy, you know? You must be from God. You would think Jesus would say, thank you, thank you, glad you, you see it. Polite. But Jesus seems to be jumps right to a point. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, one cannot see the kingdom of God. That's not the question that Nicodemus asked. Okay, there's questions about Nicodemus. What's a Pharisee? What's a reader of the Jews there? Why does he come at night? Okay, before we get into what that means, what that infers, let's go to the second person. It's in the next chapter. John 4, 7 to 10, and then we will read 15 to 19. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. 
He said to her, Go call your husband here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now what's very interesting is that there is a great contrasting of these two figures. I entitled the sermon, The Odd Couple. It is almost like if you were to pick two people and match them, this would be mismatched socks, okay? And we're gonna go over the differences very, very quickly through the screen. The first difference is that it's a man and a woman. Nicodemus is a man, the person from Samaria, the Samaritan, is a woman. And for us, that's not a big deal. As a matter of fact, the law would demand such a thing. If someone would have wrote that two men came, someone would have sued because there was inequality, okay? And then you better have it the next time or we're going to picket you. We're not going to follow you, okay? Now, this was 2,000 years ago. And women do not have the place of equality as we all should have equality here today. It was so unusual for the writer to but a man with a woman and for Jesus to have equal access to them at this time. This is 2,000 years ago. For the first thing that the writer is trying to define or display or to say is that it did not matter what your gender was. For they will all have equal access to Jesus. There's a second difference. One comes by night, and the other comes by day. Now, this is a very minor thing. But what the writer is doing is that he is building his case for distinction and for polar opposites. Nicodemus comes at night, and we don't know why he comes at night. You know, he's a, you know he drank too much caffeine, you know, whatever. He's a sleepwalker. You know, he's some, some, a lot of people think that, you know, oh, he might have been, he, he wants to be under the radar. Don't want people to see him talking to Jesus, you know, at night, you know? It's very, very possible. What we all know is that Jesus talks to the woman in the daytime. Does not matter. The time of day, all will have equal access to Jesus. A third one, one comes to Jesus who asks him a question, that's Nicodemus, or to initiate the conversation. For the Samaritan woman, she just wants a drink of water. She just wants water. It's like making a Costco run, you know? I just, look, I just want my hot dog. You know, what, what, are, you, what are you talking to me for, you know? I'm online, you know? Look, come on, you know? Look. Okay, there's a real difference. Someone coming to church, trying to seek God. Someone over to Costco wanting the $1.50 special, okay? You want the $1.50 special. I don't want anyone to talk religion. Well, if I have something to say and ask, I want to say, where's the mustard, okay? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Both of their lives will intersect with Jesus, whether one is an active person pursuing truth or the one just happens to in life. Jesus is going to respond or he will take initiative into a person's life because there are different ways that God can respond to you. Fourth, one is religious and the other is non-religious. Now here comes at the meat and the center of the situation. I'm going to read John 3, verse 1 again. And it goes like this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, 
a ruler of the Jews. What's a Pharisee? <clears throat> to understand what a Pharisee was, you need to have some understanding of what the law of Moses is. Now, if you never read the law of Moses, and I'm going to say 99.9% .9 of you perhaps never read the law of Moses through. Okay? If you haven't read it, maybe you're old enough to have seen the classic movie Ten Commandments. Good enough. <laughs> you didn't see the movie Ten Commandments. Let me just give you the, 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 the lowdown on this. The law of Moses was given to Israel prior to them becoming a nation. It was basically seen as a spiritual constitution for the founding of the nation, for they will then enter the land after the law is given. It is the first, first document. So God speaks to Moses, reveals himself to Moses. Moses uh, uh, conveys the law to the people, okay? And I said, what's in the law anyway? Now, the law has some really good things. Ten Commandments. It was so good, like I said, they made a movie out of it, okay? And they have some really good things in the Ten Commandments, such as don't murder. Now, I don't know about you. I think that's a good law, okay? <laughs> don't steal. I think that's a good law. You shall honor your father and mother. Now, I didn't know that was that good until I became a father. <laughs> when I was a child, I said, what's that law for? Now that I'm a father, great law. Great law, great law. They should also have thou shalt honor your grandparents. Great law, you know, now I'm a grandparent, you know? Great law. But within it, there's some of these weird laws too. Don't have mixed fabric in your clothing. Ooh, no polyester cotton weave for you. <laughs> Take off that cheap suit. Only 100% wool touches this body. You know, it's a kind of some weird no cotton poly blends, no wool cotton blends, no, nothing, nothing. It has to be pure. So what kind of law is that? You know, there's this other law, no shrimp. Now, I don't know about you. If you take a look at me, I'm Asian. You take away shrimp, the Chinese restaurant business, they, they collapse, you know? I mean, it's like, uh, 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 you know, the shrimp is part of the, what are the three food groups for Asian people, you know? Rice, uh, uh, shrimp, and, you know, chicken, you know? <laughs> you say, well, I'm not Asian. I don't, I don't understand it. Take bacon. For men, you take away bacon, the male population would be cut in half. <laughs> They'd starve. Everyone would automatically lose 50 pounds, you know? You take away bacon, you know, pork belly, anything like that, you know? You couldn't eat pork. It's, well, that's a, it's got, there's some nice laws, and then there's some laws we, they don't really understand why they're in. Now, there's this famous rabbi in the medieval time named Maimonides who, who said, he studied the law and said there are approximately, I didn't say approximately, there were 621 different categories of obedience in the law, in, 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 in the five books of the Old Testament. A lot more laws, but it's, he categorized them in 621. Now, what's a Pharisee? A Pharisee was a group of people who came out of the Old Testament and got together and said, we're going to obey all 621. From murder, stealing, honoring parents, to no shrimp, no bacon, no mixed garments, plus the other minute laws. 
It was a group. Because in the history of Israel, God's judgment upon his people came because they disrespected God in their disobedience. So they said, we're going to get together and we're going to bring back good old-fashioned religion, you know? And what a Pharisee represented, these people were of the squeaky clean, they're the squeaky clean variety of Christian. I don't know, you ever meet the squeaky clean variety of Christian? These were it. These were squeaky clean followers of the God of the Old Testament, okay? They did what was written. Not only was he a Pharisee, he was a leader of the Jews, which means he has risen to stature. And I wouldn't say he's like a modern politician who lies and cheats and whatever, you know. This guy's a Pharisee, so he's squeaky clean. He's in a club that was all squeaky clean, you know. And he was the leader. Oh, wow, what more can you get, you know? Make elect him president, you know. That, that's what we want, you know. Squeaky clean and you're a leader. Recognize you. Okay. He's religious. Through and through. Compare him to the Samaritan woman. And I will read the passage in 4, 15 to 19. When Jesus says, you have answered correct, correctly, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. Now, what's interesting, and we, we all fail, you know. And I don't want to say that Jesus doesn't con condemn her for this. He says, this is the way it is. Whatever you want to say, this woman is not, is the opposite of the Pharisee and Nicodemus. The relationships has failed. And at this time of life, she is in disobedience to the law. I wouldn't say that she has no religion. She is a Samaritan, and we will look at their religion a little bit later. But it is the type of person whom maybe we are or we know somebody like this. We have a religious affiliation, but it doesn't affect our lives at all. You know? It's like you talk to somebody, you, say, you know about Jesus? You know what? Yeah, I went to church when I was young. And you know what? I got an uncle who's a Baptist preacher. They talk about the Baptist preacher, you know? But, you know, what floats his boat's good. I live my life. You believe in God? Sure, I believe in God. Do you believe in Jesus? Didn't I tell you I, I went to church when I was three years old, you know? So what are you doing tonight? I'll tell you what I do every Friday night. I go clubbing and try to pick up women. But don't you have a a person you're living with, Psh, don't tell what I'm doing. You know, I, Friday night is guy's night out, you know. So, you know, don't tell her what I'm doing, you know. But are you Christian? Didn't I just tell you? My, my, my uncle's a Baptist uh, preacher, and, and I, was, I was, went to church when I was three. So if there was a, 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 a form that says, watch your religion, I'd put Christian in. I'm American. All Americans are Christian, right? Okay, that's the type of faith we're talking about, okay? And I'm saying, okay, it's a religious affiliation, but you, when it really comes to how you live your life, it doesn't affect change in your life. It doesn't affect the present. And there are people like that a lot in America. That's the Samaritan woman. You look at that 
And then you say, you choose which is the hero, squeaky clean leader, Samaritan woman. And it seems like at this time, the meter is going to the, the Pharisee man. But it's not going to be true. The next difference, one is theologically correct. The other is theologically incorrect. Now we delve into the differences between a Samaritan and a Jew. The woman clearly states and is shocked, why do you talk to me? You, uh, the Jews and Samaritans don't talk. And to understand this, you need to know a little bit of history of how the Samaritans developed. If Nicodemus and the understanding of the Pharisees can only be understood when you start at the beginning of the nation of Israel's beginning, the giving of the law. It's interesting. To understand what a Samaritan was, you go to the other end of the history of Israel in the Old Testament. One's at the beginning, the other is at the other end. So what do you mean the other end? I don't understand. So this is what it is. In the history of Israel, there's this weird thing called the Babylonian captivity. So what in the world is it? I said, look, I just want to tell you, there's a time that God sent the nation into captivity into the nation of Babylon because of disobedience. And it was part of the plan of God. Well, not all the Jews went into captivity. Some people were left behind and actually were not sent to captivity. And those are usually the poor people. You know, who cares? They took all the wealthy people, the intellectuals, all the people significant. They put them all into Babylon. But, you know, these are people hiding in caves, whatever. You know, they stay there. And so the people stayed uh, kind of syncretized with the natives. And so they had uh, intermarried, and they had a sortly divergent view of the Old Testament. This is where the Samaritans come in. This is where I say both of them come out of the Old Testament. One comes out from the beginning of the Old Testament in obedience. The other comes from the historical end of the Old Testament, and the Samaritan issue comes up. And you say, well, they're so different. Clearly, one is seemingly in the right, and the other is in the wrong. But when you study the passage, and you look at the difference, you realize that they are both in the same boat. There's another difference. One comes with a question of knowledge. The, 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 the Nicodemus, the Pharisee, would eventually ask, how can one be born again? The other comes with an admittance of need. Once Jesus says, you know what? You say you have no husband, but you had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And the woman says, none of your, I was going to use a phrase, blank, blank business. She says, I perceive you are a prophet, a.k.a. how did you know? How did you know? It was very, very interesting. People will come for Jesus in many, many different varieties, and these are the extremes, and there's probably all different shades in between. Some will come for the pursuit of knowledge and what true religion is and how to get back to God, and their drive is for an uh, answer to a question concerning truth. Others will come not with a question of truth at all, but would come with a past and a solution to the past they have. 
And you must realize that as you meet people, there will be all different ways that people come to Christ and meet Christ. And when you study these two chapters, it doesn't matter which way you come. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter if you were squeaky clean. It doesn't matter if you were failing and you want to reset, have the reset button. It doesn't matter if you're of the majority ethnic group. It doesn't matter if you're the only odd ethnic group in the whole town. Because something is going to be very, very important as Jesus speaks to these people. It is not your past that will determine <clears throat> your place with God. It is what I will give to you. If you look in this passage in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, and this is Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is very interesting, because this guy's clean. If there is someone who deserves to see God and to enter the kingdom of God, it's him and his friends. Jesus says, look, unless something happens to you in terms of an inner regeneration, a new birth, something cataclysmic happens to you, you cannot see God. Because religion does not earn you a spot with God. It is an incredible statement that Jesus makes to this person. Religion does not earn you a place with God. And then to the woman, if you only knew who it was, who you are talking to, if you knew the gift of God, if you would say, give me a drink, he would give it to you. Yeah? You don't know my past. Oh, yes, he does. Because he would say, in a leading question, bring your husband here. I know full well I would give it to you, knowing full well of your past. Living water. They come from divergent ends of the spectrum. One seeking God, fully obedient, the other with some religious heritage, but no impact on life. One a high achiever, maybe a little obsessive compulsive disorder as a Pharisee. The other a little loose maybe. It doesn't matter because they both need something to happen in their life one to be lowered to realize that your obedience 
without the realization of the humbling of heart that you need a total makeover so that you would be transformed and you would be regenerated. You know, how many religious people, I've been a pastor for a long time, you know, and I love being in this church because they still address me as Pastor Jeff, you know. I've seen hundreds of religious people. But when you see a, re a person with the living water flowing in and the joy and a change within, the ability to forgive that transcends the religious responsibility. Oh, boy. That is what is this, and that's what Jesus is saying. And when you see, you know, see people are burdened with the past, because oftentimes if you have a past, the past describes and defines your present. And for God to say, I could reset the button. I can make you new. Oh, wow. That is an incredible thing. And that is what Jesus is offering these people. Though they seem so different, they both need the same Christ. There's a final difference in coming to an end. One uses their wealth, one uses their words. We do not know from the passages I read what their response to Jesus is, but we will know in this next verse that comes up, John 4, 39, the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who's testified. In a matter of minutes, she goes back to her town and says, I gotta tell you something. He told me all the things that I have done. Oh, this is not, this is very interesting. Told me all the things. Because shame has become the platform of the testimony. You know something happens to you when the things that you are shameful of, you realize the restoration in Christ overcomes the shame. And this is one I want to encourage some of you because some of you have the emotional shame or skeletons in the closet. You know what you need? You need to have an understanding. No matter what your past is, you have been renewed. That's why I can talk about corona. That's why I can talk about being beaten up when you're seven years old. That's why I could say times when I was called the C word, African Americans have the N word, Chinese have the C word. And I was called the C word a lot. I tell you all the time when people say, oh, can you see through those eyes? Okay. I'm seven years old, okay? I'm seven years old when I'm hearing that. I need a reset. You need a reset. 
It affects me. As my wife and I say, as we're taking a subway into Corona, if I wasn't raised here, I'd be different. But I can't change that. I need to let Christ overcome that for me and make my shame into, yeah, that happened. But Christ is better than that for me. And you need Christ to be better than that for you too. The other uses his wealth. John 19, 39, it is in your passage, your program. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds of weight. And I said, what in this time frame? Jesus has been crucified. He has been taken off the cross, and someone needs to claim the body. Everyone's abandoned Jesus, even his disciples. He's a pariah of society. No one wants him. Two people step up. One is by the name of Joseph. The other is none other than Nicodemus. And so they use whatever they have. But what you will realize is for both the woman and for Nicodemus, their identity, their reputations, how they describe themselves, who they want to be associated with, will no longer be solely on your own identity of success or your own identity of failure. But it will be on Christ. Which is a remarkable thing. Where are you in this sermon? It's very, very important as you read scripture to understand what it meant 2,000 years ago. Well, you study the Old Testament 3,500 years ago. But it is more important for you and I to realize how you and I fit in today in that passage. And hear it how it goes. Some of you need your skeletons lifted from you. Some of you were raised in your own corona. Some of you are successful, but you look down upon those who did not achieve like you. No, it's not about success, man. Some of you, this is your first sermon about Jesus, and you're saying, why should I, uh, you know, follow this Jesus? Or even, you know, be open to believe in him. I'll tell you something. You realize that at the heart of Jesus Christ is redemption and a restoration and a completion that he alone can give to you and I. And the diversity that he comes upon with people. San Francisco is known as a city of diversity. Jesus is understood as a person who accepts all diversity because he will transform you, regardless of where you have come from. Because that is what the gospel is. Some of you say, what do I do? The woman uses her words and testifies. The other uses his wealth. And basically, it's, this is it. As you grow in Christ, it's more than just the actions you do, but it's the putting on of the identity that first and foremost, I am a Christian. And whatever I am, that is who I am now. 
I am restored by Christ. And that is who I am. I'm going to pray for you. And uh, after the prayer, there's going to be a final song and the receiving of offerings. But give me this honor. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for these, my friends, at Cornerstone. Uplift us all where we are in life. Have our identity in you. Have us a people that excel in the inner water that is bringing up and spilling forth. Bring joy to people. Bring a sense of restoration to people. For if we are proud, bring us down. If we are low, bring us up. But it is all in you. For I pray this in Jesus Christ.